Welcome back to another episode of Out of Blank Podcast. Jeffrey Chuck Norris has joined me again. Welcome back. I'm back. Man, it's been a while. It's been like eight months, I think. Has it? Has it been eight? Well, yeah, it was right about the time I had just got my new car. And yeah, yeah, so it has been about that time. She running smooth? Oh, yeah, she's doing great. She's doing great. I need one with heat. That's all I need because these, <laughs> these mornings, 10 degrees, I'm sitting there wiping my sleeve against the windshield trying to get the frost to come off. I'm like, well, I'm going to sit here and do this for 20 minutes and hopefully not start a fire. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That reminds me of a time like when I was in the Navy, I, I would I had this horrible habit of oversleeping my alarm. And so, like, I, I'm trying to get across base to my class, and it's freezing out, ice all over my windshield. I can't get it to defrost in time. I'm like hanging out my like my door, like my window. I'm driving like this. I'm just waving at everybody, hoping that I'm not pissing anybody off, uh, and driving like a maniac, of course, on base, which is never a suggested thing anyway. So, love. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the cold. We're supposed to get be getting snow, and we're recording this. We're supposed to get snow next week, and I'm like, I'm not. I don't care. Like when you're a kid, it's magical. And mm-hmm. you're like, I hope to God I get off school. But mm-hmm. now what kids are getting off school with now is like we have some really hard rain. And to be honest with you, we had 50 mile an hour winds in my town. And this rain that was coming felt like bullets. And I was like, I just imagine, you know, they don't cancel. When I was a kid, they didn't cancel school for that. You were like, you're going to line up at the bus stop. But now I see these kids standing out at the bus stop getting hit. And I'm like, I feel so bad. <laughs> um. Yeah, that that storm that actually just came through this last week. Um, yeah, we got we were getting like sixty mile per hour uh, gusts and things like that. There at one point, it sounded like a freaking freight train, like was coming through my damn house uh, with the winds blowing as much as they did. But they canceled school and everything like that. And I, I had that same thought. I was like, when I was growing up, you went to school, you know, through thunderstorms. You went to school if there was a tornado like a mile away. No matter what, you were always at school. The only time we ever got off school as a child was for stock shows. I grew up in Texas, so that's the only time you ever got off school. Stock, stock shows? shows? Yeah, you were go you go and show uh, livestock, pigs, uh-huh. sheep, cows, stuff like that. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah, I mean, I never showed, but because uh, a lot of kids did, um, it was always an off day at school. There's one kid in the back. Do I get off school because I am hung like a horse? They're like, that's not the type of stock that they're talking about. <laughs> Wrong type of show, and they're a little young for that. And by the way, you're suspended. <laughs> <laughs> so catch me up, man. I, I you haven't produced a show, I think, since March. Are you still interested in doing the podcast? I'm thinking about weeding out, to be honest with you. I mean, I've been saying that for years, but. Well, quite honestly, so 2023 was just a kind of like, it, it was a great year, don't get me wrong, for a lot of wonderful reasons, but it was just also a very trying year. Um, right about, you know, my brother and I were doing great with the show. Um, and then right about March, things started going a little downhill, not any, because of anything he or I did personally. It was just uh, just a lot of stuff up in the air, especially on my end with my job and things like that. And I think the thing that kind of, unfortunately brought everything to a complete standstill was the passing of our grandmother she passed away in april and uh thank you she was uh she she helped raise me it was very it was very difficult i i luckily had gotten the wonderful opportunity back in january to go and uh see her one final time she didn't remember who i was but you know i got to see her it was closure for me and that was important so it made the funeral a lot easier to deal with knowing that at least i got that one last chance um 
But, uh, you know, after kind of reeling from that and then going into a series of vacations and schools and things like that, it's just my schedule just kind of got away from it. And unfortunately, yeah, I just we've tried to we've tried to restart it a couple of times. We've gotten together. We've recorded. I'm still sitting on those raw recordings. I haven't even had a chance to really just go and edit um, just from busy schedule and stuff like that. And I just unfortunately, I think it's it's safe to say that the show has unceremoniously come to an end. It's just um, it's a lot to keep up with in uh, this day and age. I've taken on a lot more responsibilities at work. The kids are getting older and demand a little bit more of my time, you know, things like that. I love podcasting. I love sitting here and talking, whether it's movies or just having a conversation like what you and I do. I love doing all that. It's all the behind the scenes work that I was doing on my own, you know, the editing, the social media posts, keeping up with everything. It's very, very time consuming. And for somebody with very little downtime as I have, it just it became a little too much. And I can't ask my brother to take on those responsibilities either, because, you know, we're in separate states. So we we do this this podcast remotely. And I have all the software. I have all the I have all I have everything. Everything's in my name. Everything's under like my computer and stuff like that. So it just it's kind of sad. Yeah. I, I miss doing this. I, I miss sitting in front of this microphone and just and talking. It's just all the behind the su- scenes stuff that I'm absolutely 100% not going to miss. I was about to say, yeah, work. Um, You could probably do one whenever you get free time and just you don't have to really worry about a set schedule. I kind of stopped. I used to do every day and then I just dropped it down to five days. And now it's like maybe four. Maybe sometimes I'll post when I can post. I like it's like. I'm not so worried about doing that. Like, who are you trying to impress? You know what I mean? Like, you think about the fan base, but then you just kind of base it on, like, would they consider the episode more important over your own happiness and sanity? Like, one thing I've been doing a lot recently uh, is going to the movies. Um, Just every time I'm in the movie theater, I think about, like, there's Chuck always talking about movies all the time. You know what I mean? Because I never really enjoyed it. I think when we talked, I didn't really care. I used to go with my grandparents all the time, but that was so long ago where now that I'm an adult, a a couple dates I went on to a movie, I just saw this, dude, stupid fuck. What was I expecting? Night Swim? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Yeah, you went and saw that? Oh, it was honestly, it was not scary at all, I don't think. I mean, it was kind of, it it seemed like a really low version of The Shining. Mm. That's Mm. what they really tried to play it as. Like, um, the dad started kind of going crazy and things of that sort. But I was like, I I don't know what I expected. It's a possessed pool. Like, I, I did it's not a whole lot. Like you just drain the fucker. Like, like, I don't get it. Like, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of plot. But to me, I started realizing the experience for me was more about that type of thing. Even if it was a crappy movie, I still enjoyed going with people. And I always tell them, get there early. They're like, why? The movie doesn't start for like 30 minutes. When you get there, you still have a half hour till the movie's supposed to start. I'm like, yeah, but it's about sitting in either watching the things on the screen, but you're having a conversation to work your way up into the actual, that's the important part of like the whole movie going experience. You get to talk a little bit before then get to watch the movie, then talk a little bit after you, you hit the nail right there on the head. The pre-show entertainment is one of my favorite things about going to the movie theater, which is again, I'm like you, I always tell people like, Hey, if we're going to the movies, we're going early. I want to be there. I want to sit there. I don't want to be scrambling or fighting for a seat. And then the movie is like starting 30 seconds later. I want to get comfortable. I want to be able to sit down, 
share a laugh with you, you know, you know, talk about what's happening on the screen. Maybe I haven't seen you if I like it's a friend I've going to the movies with. I haven't seen you in a few months in person. You're like, hey, let's take this opportunity to catch up. Nobody cares if we're talking during the pre-show part. We'll get it all out. Um, the pre-show entertainment definitely is one of the best things. And quite honestly, uh, I incorporated that into the podcast there in those last uh, in those later seasons where, you know, we were just we would talk about, you know, what we were looking forward to about movies coming out or, you know, we play our silly little games or talk about, you know, our mystery questions and whatnot. And that was always the most fun part for me of doing it. Yeah, we can sit down and talk about the movie and we can talk about our facts and our opinions and stuff like that. But it's just that like almost unscripted banter that made it so much fun to go into a recording and talk about and same thing with the experience of going into a movie. Uh, the movie theater experience is always going to be a one of a kind experience because it's not you going to see a movie. It's you and other people going to see a movie and the reactions of everybody. Like I, I can some of my most memorable it, movie experiences happened at a theater and I just remember how everybody was reacting during certain moments and laughing when it was inappropriate to laugh or just crying because you know it's just it's an absolutely emotional thing and that's what makes going to the movies fun when did they start serving nachos at movie theaters that's a problem i want to get fixed <laughs> um as long as i can remember back when i was in high school my very first job was a movie theater and we served nachos then so as long as i can remember they i would just nachos. think popcorn and candy but apparently like they were like yeah you want a hot dog or something like are we in a fucking baseball game what are we talking about here like i just i was with somebody and they're like let me get nachos and they got a small like dorito size bag small little tiny like snack size bag you put in a child's lunch and a little cup of cheese and it was 13 dollars. and i lost my shit dude i was like an old timer in the middle are you giving me thirteen dollars for that? <laughs> I was like, for God's sake, we're going to a movie about a possessed pool. I mean, it, it, it's the concessions is absolutely gotten crazy, but you know that's how movie theaters make their money. I'm not trying to defend them here because I think it's absolutely ridiculous. But concessions is what keeps movie theaters operational, you know, because they have to pay royalties on the movies they show. So that's why ticket prices always seem rather expensive and everything like that. Uh, but. uh yeah, they just seem to be expanding their menu, you know, was something simple, popcorn, soda, then ices, now nachos, hot dogs. Uh, I've been to a theater that serves you a full three-course meal, you know? Because the movies are three hours long. I knew we'd get to it. I'm telling you, <laughs> you're missing lunch. Three-hour-long movies. We can get there in a moment. Um, but uh, oh, now a lot of theaters have full bars in them, too. So they're trying to get you drunk before... <laughs> Uh, I went and saw Paranormal Activity drunk, and trust me, it made that movie a whole lot better. Um, I saw Oppenheimer, but I don't remember most of it. Ah, uh, uh, see, I we went we went drinking before Oppenheimer, and luckily, I didn't have too much to drink. I I enjoyed it. So I, I'm let's let's talk about this three hour movie. I, I'm a, I have a feeling you're just not a fan of these lengthy movies. No, I am when I'm home. Home. And okay. I get to relax and actually enjoy the movie. I like stuff like that. But like um, I went I get off work, let's say 8 a.m. I work overnight. The earliest time a movie shows is usually around 1130. So I was like, let's go see. And this is how we base my decision of what movie we're going to see. I said, let's go see Night Swim because I can't do uh, Mockingbird or whatever the new Hunger Games is. 
And the person I was with was like, why not? It starts at one and it'll, it's a three hour movie. I go, cause that I can drive to fucking Baltimore from my state, go to an olive garden, get a full entree, eat my meal. And then I still would be, have more time left over to go to the zoo if I wanted to. And the movie would still be going on. I was like, I can't be out that late. So to me, it was like, I don't know when movies started being three. I just don't have the time for a three hour cinema movie. I and mean, even in my own home, I don't think so. Yeah, uh, the the movie experience has definitely gotten a little bit lengthier. I think it's because the filmmakers and even the studios are starting to realize that it's taking a lot more to entertain people nowadays. And it's more about making sure that you do get... For a filmmaker, it's about making sure that the quality of the movie remains intact through these cuts and things like that that's why you know you always see these directors complaining it's like well this is not the movie that i made this is not the movie i submitted you know my cut had like 30 minutes of extra footage in it and stuff like that and you always see how um people are always just like gravitating towards these director cuts or these extended cuts because you know you want more they want more of their favorite thing and the popularity of that i think is starting to really reshape the way they are making movies now now is it always a necessary thing to make a three-hour movie absolutely not there are plenty of movies where i'm like this would have been a great movie if they cut like 40 minutes out here and there or that whole character like the batman the Batman. yes i, I was loved... gonna say that i was gonna say it. robert pattinson yeah i loved the batman i thought it was a fantastic film however it was just a little too long like uh quite honestly they could have taken some of that story cut it and like put it into the sequel that they're planning on making or that they are currently making but um i have a very hot opinion here they could have cut the whole catwoman sequence out of there damn all right i i just thought it was more of a distraction than an actual helper in the storyline you a holly berry fan too <laughs> I, love <laughs> I do like she's catwoman to me at least yeah she was yeah uh well michelle pfeiffer is always going to be catwoman to me okay why do you think people reject i did an episode on this about a guy who studies comics and we we're talking about the reboot um we're defining what that term actually means uh from like an academic standpoint and he mentioned like the worst rejected batman was the batman and robin films that came out in like 97 he's like everybody hates those i was like really i didn't think they were that bad but i also have a low bar for movies <laughs> um when was the last time you watched that movie oh dude i don't know when it was on when i was like 10 <laughs> i invite you to sit down and try to watch it today it's very 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 difficult watch so about a year ago i went through this phase where i was like i'm going to watch every batman movie in existence so like from the time that it, they were like first started making Batman. so i even went back and watched adam west's batman movie uh and i just started working my way through everything and when i got to batman i was dreading it like i got to batman forever and i was already starting to dread batman and robin I like Batman forever. I think Jim Carrey is absolutely fantastic as the Riddler. It's so wonderful to see Tommy Lee Jones in such a quirky role as Two-Face. I could give or take Val Kilmer as Batman, whatever. He's he's Doc Holliday from Tombstone for me, and that's all I need to know about Val Kilmer. You get to Batman and Robin, and it has every everything it needs to be an awesome movie. You have Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. I mean, how could you be going wrong here? You have Uma Thurman in it. She's a heartthrob from the 90s. You have George Clooney, one of the most eligible bachelors and most in-demand Hollywood people. 
playing Batman. I mean, seriously, you cannot be going wrong with this movie. They went completely wrong with this movie. It's like every actor phoned in their like job. You can just tell they do not want to be there. They're either like just way too over the top or they're just not even trying to bat like George Clooney the whole time. I, I don't think his expression changes the whole movie. He's just like, I'm Batman. Stop. Stop, Mr. Freeze. I'm like going to get you, Mr. Freeze. Michael Keaton not moving his neck. Yeah, it's just like. I'm here. And then you've got you've got Arnold Schwarzenegger delivering like the cheesiest fucking lines ever. Like, chill, chill. Shooting everybody with an ice gun. What uh, ice man cometh. Blows my mind. I get it. Why they ever made this movie. I get it. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while. I'll have to catch back up on it. I just think that whole <laughs> superhero, like I, I'll watch a lot of the superhero movies. I don't really miss one. Uh, I haven't seen the Marvels one just because I don't think it's going to be that good. And I hadn't seen Blue Beetle, only because it wasn't in theaters that long, in my opinion. When I went to go see it, it seemed like it was only there for like a couple of weeks. Next thing you know, it was out. I want to see Aquaman 2. Uh, but I, I've from the people I've talked to academic-wise who study this type of like area about superheroes and comics and things, they're saying that the, the superhero trend is going to die. Um, it's just coming closer to the end. It seems like they're really trying to pick apart and tear apart things. They think it's going to be a break for a little while, and then it's going to kick back up in a couple of years or so. But I, I mean, elimination of movies. I thought cinema was dead after the pandemic and everything. Um, but then it seems like uh, I'm very interested in going to see them. But a lot of people really care about streaming services and all these other platforms. I mean, there's like 50 different platforms now that have any movie that they want. But it's also the experience I think people are kind of missing out on. It's not the same watching it in your house. Cinema is always just going to have an absolute like going to the theater. It's always going to be a pivotal part of the movie industry. You know, there's always going to be movies that you just you're going to have to see in theaters. You know, it's like Star Wars, you know, ever, ever since, you know, obviously I didn't see episodes four, five, six in theaters. But, you know, starting with episode one and, you know, the 90s, uh, I've seen every Star Wars film that they have created in theater and it's not so much that i wanted to see it in theaters because i obviously had no desire to see like solo or anything like that or no matter how upset i was getting with the most recent trilogy it's because again that experience it's that you it's one of those things you have to see in theaters i was there opening night for the force awakens so episode seven and while i just still don't think it was a great movie at all that's one of my favorite movie going experiences. So it's always going to be the, the energy and the energy in there was just absolutely just amazing. Same thing with like going to see Harry Potter or a lot of the Marvel movies. It's just, it's the energy in these theaters and you can't replace that. You're right. You can't replace that at home unless you're going to invite 50 something people into your living room to watch a movie on your 55 inch, you know, screen. But the pandemic also shaped the way that we look at going out and doing things, not just movie wise, you know, food wise, uh, work wise, everything like that. But it did have that impact on movies. Streaming services obviously are played a big role in that, uh, especially like when HBO decided that for that one year, whatever they planned on releasing movies was going to be released on HBO Max. Um so you got to see the movies as they were being released in theaters at the same time. That's the only reason I watched the new matrix movie. Um, you've, 
and the simple fact that uh, watching a movie at home now is different than watching a movie at home 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. The technology has gotten so much better. You can create the home theater experience, recreate a home theater experience uh, and a pretty amazing uh, theater experience with the right TV, with the right sound, with the right lighting. It becomes a fantastic experience from the comfort of your couch with a bowl of popcorn that didn't just cost you $15 with a drink of your choice that didn't just cost you another $15. Uh, you you can see the draw of staying at home watching a movie versus going to the theater. The theater is always going to be there. I had predicted about a year ago on the show that we were seeing the quick death of the movie theater experience. I wish to amend that. I don't think we're going to ever see the movie theater experience die, but it's not ever going to be at the peak of what it was. It's already past its peak. What do you think are some of the downsides or the kind of hurt to the actual cinema industry? Biggest hurts to the cinema industry? Money. I mean... Inflation's going up. You know, you, you hear it all over the board. Our economic situation is just absolutely in turmoil right now. People aren't people aren't able to do the amount of frivolous spending per se that you normally would have been able to. Uh, like hell, it was even hard for my parents back in the nineties and early two thousands. I, I remember in high school, like going through my room, scraping for quarters just to find the $5 and 50 cents, which I thought was an outrageous price then to go buy a ticket, to go see a movie with my friends. But I, I think money is going to be the biggest thing that hurts cinema because it's costing more to make these movies. Therefore it's costing more to distribute these movies. It's costing theaters more to carry these movies and so on and so forth. You see how it cascades and builds on each other. Uh, you know, we're making the jokes about the concessions earlier cost you $50 to for a concession for a family of two or three, you know, so it's just money is what's hurting cinema right now. It's almost not worth it for the cinema experience for the amount of money you pay. Um, unless you want to sneak in a bag of fried chicken with you. People do that. People do that. Um, I don't think they care as much as they used to. When I was a kid, it was like a big crime. Like you had to really try and sneak it in there. Now I feel like people just carry it with them and they're like, sir, no food outside drink. It's like, I don't care. I'm going to eat this in here. I see people walking in with like pizza boxes and shit like that. They don't care anymore. But I mean, at the same time, that also hurts the theater. So the theater should care. So money, money is just going to be the biggest thing that hurts cinema. Uh, the more that these films cost, the more money that's going to be demanded to run them and carry them. Do you think we still have the same consideration of cinema that we did maybe 10 years ago? No. Um, it's all about pizzazz. You know, I the thing I love about movies is the fact that I can sit there and watch a movie and be transported to another world. And I can forget about all the the pain or reality of my situation whatever that may be at the time and just become part of something else. And I think we've just become so dependent on the gravitas of um, movies nowadays. They need to be bigger. They need to be bolder. They need to have more, um, more of this, more of that, more technology, more CGI, more bang. Like every, everything's a damn Michael Bay film, you know, it's just explosions by Michael Bay. Uh, all that fun stuff. And I think, I don't think we appreciate cinema for what it 
can be and i definitely don't think it's what what it used to be it, wh whatever happened to the artistry of it you know whatever happened to you know having these grand costumes or making sure you pair off people like they would do these massive amounts of auditions and screen tests just to make sure actors had the right chemistry working together to pull off this amazing story beautifully done on screen you know you would uh what happened to that? Iconicism. Nowadays, you... What? Iconicism. Yes. You take the most popular stars of today and you mash them together in the film. Nobody cares if it works. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I, I, I'm going to I'm going to slam the nature of uh, the movie industry right now. The, the big superhero thing. Super. The Marvel movies have been fun to grow up and watch. They have changed and they have progressed so much since the debut in back in 2008 with Iron Man, you know. However, I also think they've hurt the way we want to experience movies and they've hurt the industry in itself. If you look at the top 10 highest grossing films of all time, they're all CGI heavy. They're all this heavy, things like that. Um, even Titanic, which is still holding its spot up there. Um for the 90s that was very cgi heavy and things like that and it's just whatever happened to artistry and pageantry of making movies that's why i like movies like um that have a little bit more like dialogue and depth to them it's not about the flash it's not about um it could have that absolutely this is why quentin tarantino is one of my favorite filmmakers because he knows how to do the balance of artistry and give the audience what they're looking for. The flash, the gore, the blood. Um, uh, that's why uh, The Hateful Eight is still one of my favorite films of his. Because, And I like to watch the extended version on Netflix, not a Netflix plug. I hate Netflix. Um, I hate Netflix. Because they, uh, they, they crack down on password sharing. Oh. It's just easier in my family if we were all sharing passwords. Uh, but anyway, um, they have the extended edition of The Hateful Eight on there. So uh, they broke the movie down into four different parts, each an hour or so long. And it's just, it's so beautiful. All the dialogue, I'm mesmerized by it. The scenery, it's just, it's so simple. It's one set. They're inside a fucking cabin on the side of a mountain in a snowstorm. And it can keep my attention for four hours just because he knows how to write a script. He has all these actors who work so beautifully together and with each other and they just feed off of each other. And then, of course, you know, the big Quentin Tarantino boom at the end. It's filmmaking at its finest and it's unfortunately filmmaking we don't get anymore from a lot of filmmakers or in most cinema. Do you think it's because a lot of our basis on movies now is about rehashing a lot of old movies from the past? It seems like we've had a plethora of Batmans, we've had a plethora of Spider-Mans, we've had a plethora of Supermans, and it just seems like, you know, you don't. there's not any risk anymore. Like, the multiverse opening up, I mean, besides my little conspiracy that I think it's like a way to get rid of all these scandals uh, that all these actors end up having. They can get rid of Ezra now, they can have 30 different flashes. But I think it's because there's not a risk to the character anymore. You know, when you adapt and you you develop like a relationship with Captain America, this is who he is. But then if he dies, 
Does he come back in the next movie? Superman died. Does he come back in the next movie? You know, there's you you hope that he does. You probably he's going to. But now you have so many different. Oh, this actor didn't get paid enough money, and this didn't happen. And it seems like the whole industry has just been more neglect on the actual characters that envision these symbols that I think a generation should be growing up with. Now it's about like what can we find in the past that we made like ten years ago and make it newer with newer people, and then just give it back to them. We're stuck in this age of either reboots or remakes. And uh, granted, original is getting through. Now, I, there was a period there where an original movie, an original thought just seemed to be backburnered or it was an indie film. You didn't hear a whole lot about it. More of those are starting to peek through finally. But yes, we're still in this age of remakes and reboots. And they're riding the coattails of stuff that have been successful. Or maybe not as successful. You know, we, we're on the Superman or the uh, superhero kick here. Let's talk Superman. Superman was a very highly successful movie franchise. Um, and then it and it disappeared nobody really thought anything of it they tried to reboot it in the 90s with nick cage glad that didn't happen um Damn. did I you did nick you watch cage. the flash movie i did i loved it when he was in oh you love that scene but i was like yes I, I admittedly i did smile because i thought it was a wonderful little addition to that particular part of the movie but at the same time i'm still glad we never got a nick cage superman. he doesn't look good as superman but i love no. nick cage and everything i don't care what the movie is <laughs> Um, it, it, I don't like Nick Cage as a person, but you're right. His his movies are he's very a entertaining. national treasure. God, he's a, he's very entertaining. Um, but then not every not every reboot or remake works. Uh, Superman Returns, that really awful Superman movie. Uh, what year was that? Two thousand five, two thousand six, somewhere around there. It had Brandon Ruth as Superman and it had Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor. And I, I know Kevin Spacey's not a good name to be throwing around right now, but he was the best damn thing about that movie. Um, he was a great Lex Luthor. Uh, but that that reboot didn't work. That re it didn't work. So we didn't hear from Superman again for a while until Henry Cavill's Man of Steel. And then oh, Henry Cavill's Man of Steel. So Man of Steel in itself was a fine movie. But then everybody just like we get this idea that this that's what Superman needs to be. And so everyone fell in love with him. We we made that Superman successful. And then now he's not Superman. And nobody wants to accept the fact that they are doing a new Superman. But do we need a new Superman? See, th those are the questions. Why do we keep doing the same things over and over and over because they're recognizable. It's like you said, we keep going back to the things that we're comfortable with. There are so many different superhero characters that are out there in DC and Marvel lore. Why can't we focus on a little bit more of them? Why is it always these mainstream characters that we keep running to? They sell tickets. They bring in money. That's why. And if it doesn't work, they're going to pluck that person out, toss them to the side, and they're going to try again. We've had three different Spider-Men in my lifetime. I loved all of them. Yeah, what, the what was wrong? Kind of sucks. <gasps> Don't hate on your twin. Um, <laughs> although Andrew Garfield is the best, but um, <clears throat> I've we've had redemption, redemption after No Way Home. I think yes, absolutely.
uh you know we've had three different spider-man we've had how many different batman iterations how many different iterations of superman you know it's just let's give these things a rest there are so many other things we can focus on right now and i honestly think studios need to stop worrying so much about these superhero movies uh we've grown we're fatigued that's why you see a decline in attendance to superhero movies that's why i think people are starting to tear them apart a little bit more we're just very very fatigued it's time time for the next phase what's the next fad what's the next big fad what do you think it's going to be sci-fi no i think horror is making a comeback i don't think it ever really left it never left but it didn't really aside from maybe like scream and halloween and things like that it kind of got pushed off to the side it, it kept its cult it's always had its cult but i think we're going to see a lot more mainstream horror movies um night swim there's an example i wouldn't call um, that a horror movie that's a comedy <laughs> um the Doesn't only matter. part I got scared about was when the kid stuck his hand in the pool filter. I was like, I don't know how many times I was told not to do that. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah, I was always told not to do that. It's the same thing. Like, you know, if something falls down in the drain of your kitchen sink, I'm keeping an eye on that damn switch, even though I know nobody's near it. I wouldn't even turn bother. on. Oh, it's like, gone I, forever. It's... Wedding ring. <laughs> fuck it. Gotta get it. Gotta get it. I don't want it down there. Um, No, I think horror mainstream horror is going to be making a comeback we're going to see a lot more original thinking hopefully with horror movies and stuff like that um it's either going to be that or we're going to see a lot more um damn i had the answer to this question long before i even asked it um aside from horror we're going to see I think we're burnt out on sci-fi, so I'm not going to agree with you on sci-fi. Uh, comedies? No, rom- romantic romantic comedies. That's oh, what I was trying to damn get. Damn it! Ro- rom-coms are going to start making a comeback now. Um, like it was really big in the '90s and early 2000s, and then action movies, sci-fi, and like superheroes started taking over the trends. I think we're going to see more rom-coms, and the only reason I say that is it didn't do well. But crying out loud, Meg Ryan came out of her retirement and just released a rom-com. And now I'm starting to hear of more people sagging on to rom-coms. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is going to be a thing again. I would like to see more educational stuff. I'm big into documentaries. Mm, absolutely. I've been watching. Can I be honest with you? I, I, Of course I can be honest with you. As a former host of a movie podcast i'm really bad about watching movies nowadays i haven't sat down to watch a full movie in a long time the latest like brand new movie i watched aside from maybe oppenheimer was barbie because i had to see what the big deal was was it that bad was it that no i actually enjoyed it everyone kept saying it was like a shame to men no it's like you're going to a fucking barbie movie what do you expect it's not I never makes fun, with it makes fun of G.I. Joe's, so it makes fun of men a lot, but I I'm also sure. think it has a I think it has a wonderful message for everybody who watches it. But it really wasn't that bad of a movie. I was like, oh, okay, this is okay. I get it. Um, do I think it's Oscar worthy? Absolutely not. Um, but uh, 
I haven't been watching a lot of like new movies or anything like that, but I have been watching the hell out of some documentaries. Uh, my wife and I are really big into documentaries about like Mars and stuff right now. We've been watching a shit ton of space documentaries. You just obsessed with the idea that we might get there one day or what, what about Mars is appealing? I I think it's not the so yeah it is kind of the fact that you know SpaceX and everything like that is working on uh on a way to get us there but it's more I like the exploratory side of it as you know we've been sending rovers there like uh what's the rover that's there right now um Perseverance yeah I think it's Perseverance it's there to literally go to this place that they believe was once a river delta um because they there had to have been water on Mars at some point. All all the scientific evidence points to there had to have been water on Mars at some point. So they believe that this one section in this crater is a river delta, and Perseverance has gone there, and it's literally drilling samples out of this delta to send back to Earth for us to analyze to see if there is signs of decomposed or former life there outside of water. Because where there's water... There should theoretically be plant life or some sort of animal life. So that's what they're trying to figure out. It's fascinating to me. Absolutely fascinating. And the amount of work and money they had to that had to go into getting this rover to this spot. And that's just phase one. Phase two is now they got to get this rocket there for the rover to deposit the samples in to shoot off into space that's part two and then they've got to get that rocket once it's in space out of orbit and on its way to earth to be intercepted by iss are we going to talk about how buzz aldrin called that like 20 years ago we could talk about that buzz aldrin said there was water on the moon and there was an obelisk on mars and also water on mars water on the moon i don't know about that one yeah, he also got mad because he wanted to take back some of his bags of shit that he left up on the moon when they went up there. <laughs> Man's a little bit nuts, but he said some things that have been like, eh, NASA, vet your astronauts. God. Have you ever seen Space Force, uh, the new season? No, uh, I watched a couple episodes of the original season, and I honestly uh, didn't get too, too far in it. There's a really good scene where the oxygen was running out in one of the astronauts' tanks, and they had to help him from the ground. So the guy's like, all right, can we, is the computer set up? Yeah, but it's going to take 45 minutes for this update to complete. And the guy goes, fuck Microsoft! <laughs> I just love, like, because I like that. Like, I think a lot of stuff that you can watch now, I like to teach education with it, but I would like to have it to have some humor, too, because it's got to be palatable. I mean, Oppenheimer was a good movie. It was definitely a little bit long, and I think a lot of people went into it thinking they were going to see some big explosions and stuff like that. It really wasn't that. It was kind of more telling a story, but it was kind of fast-paced. It dealt with more of the mental side of things, which I think like the Joker did originally. Um, I think it's about capturing the appealing aspects to our society that I feel like are an untapped mind right now, which is the things that make it more realistic, make it more educational, make it more um, comedic. You know, education doesn't have to be boring. It can be really, really fun. It doesn't just have to be what someone's interested in. And that's where I like uh, documentaries. I mean, I like the kind of watching a movie and not having to think either, but I'm also tired of seeing Fast and Furious I'm tired of seeing other movies that are on their eighth or ninth edition where I'm like, why is this still going on? Like it doesn't, it wasn't that good. You're losing your audience now at this point. You lost the essential bit, fast cars 
and car chases. When they became now, superheroes, that's when I was just like, they when they the were moon. saving the world, I'm like, come on, guys, this is getting ridiculous. John Cena's been killed like four times. As <laughs> like, and you're running out, you're running out of like guest star guest stars to be in this movie to just like blow us away. Like, you know, when The Rock appeared in what was that number five? You know, like, okay, that's cool. Uh, I love the interaction between him and Vin Diesel and all of them and stuff like that. Kurt Russell making his few appearances is like, okay, cool. Charlie's Theron coming out of nowhere. She's some. Like, okay, now it's starting to get a little ridiculous. Jason Momoa in number 10. It's like, all right, can we stop, please? They're just trying to find big, beautiful people and put them in movies. But see, there's the problem. Just because you're big and beautiful doesn't mean you're worth going to the theater to see nothing against Jason Momoa. I don't want him to come beat me up. But he's pretty um, out of shape. I think he'd be all right. Um. And, you know, it's it's a shame. I, I like him as an actor, you know, watching him as Cal Drogo in Game of Thrones. There's a wonderful movie on Netflix. Uh, frick, why can't I think of the name of it all of a sudden? Uh, Slumberland that has him Jimmy. in it. Great movie. So I, he's a good actor. The problem is, it's just, you know, he's associated with superhero movies and uh, they're not they're not. They don't hire actors like him in those roles for his acting abilities. It's basically just his looks. Yeah. Well, what would you say would be fixes to the industry if you could? Obviously, Stop there's a being... problem with actors, too. I mean, there's a writer's strike and all that. I mean, that's a big fear, mm. too. AI coming into the AI. Movie that's, game. A, that's definitely a big fear. Um, I think what will fix a lot of this is... greediness i mean obviously the studios are out to make money they need to make money that's that's how the world works you you want to you you're out there making money you're making art to make money but they just get so they get nowadays a 300 million dollar take on a movie is considered unsuccessful 300 million dollars i consider that an absolute success um as long as you make back your budget and then plus that's a success if you're not making back your budget then yeah that's a bust and you need to go back and rework the formula but they all want to be crossing the multi-million dollar mark they all and now the bar has been set higher now it's crossing the billion dollar mark uh the top five highest grossing movies of all time have crossed the billion dollar mark and that's what everybody's trying to strive for now and it's and I think it's taking its toll on quality. Um, I think they need to spend less time working on quantity, more time working on quality. They need to respect the actors and the writers' time as far as these movies are concerned, making sure that they are taken care of, making sure that, you know, they're part of the artistic expression. You know, you hired them to be a part of your movie. You hired them to either be the face of your movie or the heart of your movie in the writing. Let them do their job and don't diminish what they're doing either. And AI has zero place in making a movie. And I need to clarify that statement. It has its place in making movies, but it does not have its place as a threat to replacing the real thing. And that's what was was one of the biggest um, talks during the uh, actor strike. Um 
you know, AI is a very dangerous tool. Uh, one of the things that I had read was that, uh, especially if you're like a character actor, like a minor actor, you could sign this contract with the studio and they would go in and they would do this digital imaging, imaging of you and render you in different ways and then pay you and send you on your way. Well, that contract you signed, you forfeited any right to your likeness after that imaging. And so they could insert you into any movie they want, doing whatever they think they wanted to do to you, and because you didn't show up to work. A computer did it for you. That's the dangers of AI. And that's what studios need to stop trying to do. Stop screwing over the people who make your art a reality and start taking care of them. That's a tough thing because I would love to see Leslie Nielsen in another Naked Gun movie, but I also don't think, you know, I don't know if that's right because he did, he's no longer with us. So it's like, it brings up a big moral question. Would you want to see someone's character be used for perpetual, whatever, for the foreseeable future, even if they're not around anymore? Does it make it the same? If it's done with integrity and class, that's a different story. So, you know, a few examples to think of here. Um, Star you know, Wars. Paul, Star Wars, that's, I was going to go Fast and Furious there for a moment, but we can go Star Wars, uh, you know, so Carrie Fisher, when she passed away, they used her likeness in the remainder of the films, and, but they did it with the express permission of her family, they did it in a way that was very tasteful, it wasn't, and they tried to use a lot of footage that ended up being cut while she was still alive, versus just, inserting her inserting her inserting her for the sake of inserting her um another example in star wars is peter cushing in rogue one he played grand moff tarkin in a new hope well he, he has been long dead but they wanted his character in rogue one so again they got permission to use his likeness. They got an actor stand in and everything like that. They just digitally put his face on that actor. And it was very well done, in my opinion, but it was all done with integrity. They didn't just do it for the sake of doing it. They did it because they had permission to do it and it worked for the story. Fast and Furious, when Paul Walker passed away, they needed to do, they hadn't quite finished filming this movie yet and they didn't know what they were going to do. His brothers stepped in and as body doubles, and they just put his face on, they did it with, and they did it tastefully. They did it with, uh, per, again, permission and everything like that, all in the name of doing art properly. Not because they can, but because they wanted, they needed to do it in that particular way and tastefully. Uh, but gratuitous AI, just for the sake of it, like, you know, I've got a likeness of Johnny Depp and I decided that I just want to throw it in this movie for no reason. That's, that's where I think we need to start drawing the line. It needs to serve a purpose and it needs to be because it makes sense for the actor and for the art itself. I would like to see a movie that would be, something that would have Johnny Depp in it, but instead of using AI, they just use an impersonator. So it's like the joke is that it's not actually Johnny Depp, but it's like everything like Johnny Depp. Ooh, gather like all the Captain Jack Sparrow actors from like the Disney yeah. parks and stuff like that and just throw them all into this movie and they're all acting like they're John. Oh, I kind of like that. 
I'd go see that movie. Because you know as it's long as Johnny Depp's in it. Yeah, it, well, you know it's joking. That's the thing. It's like it's not using someone's image through a machine to try and create the actor. You're using someone's but like you know it's jokingly so then it's acceptable to which is weird why there's like not a double standard on that because because you're doing i would assume you're doing it with a johnny depp's permission two you're doing it again for the sake of making art in the right way not 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 for nefarious reasons or because you're trying to save money so that's where ai was that's where the ai uh, argument was really coming in it was about the money and the representation saying that we can use your likeness however we want and you aren't entitled to a dime you have no rights you're not going to get any recognition for this you're not going to get recognition for this film you're not going to get royalties for this film you're not going to get payment for this film you've already given us that where do you think ai where do you think ai would exceed in do you think it would exceed in like if you could you got a positive for it and then a negative for it Obviously, recreating people, actors that are no longer with us might not be necessarily right. But what about creating scripts? I feel like AI could improve in that. Pardon me. I'm sorry. Um, absolutely. I think AI, uh, we've seen it in like these chat bots and these chat GPTs and things like that, where they can actually create comprehensible stories and things like that. So I think AI could be, you know... Um, God, I hate to I hate to say I hate to say this and use this as an example, but did you see the new Space Jam movie with LeBron James? Yeah. Okay. I think AI could do something not as nefarious as that what that AI was being represented as in the movie, but something to that nature where it can be like, it's got an idea for a movie based off of input that it has received from the studio or filmmakers or anything like that. Like this is what's happening in the world or the, like here's a prompt. Uh, I've got this idea, but I don't know exactly how I want to take it. AI can come up with something. Absolutely. I think that's where it positively could have an impact on the industry. It's when we use it for nefarious purposes that, you know, that's what's going to bring the negativity in. And that's when it's going to um, make it, um, the legitimacy of it just it's not going to be good what would you say would be one change that you could see happening in the next couple of years when it comes to a good side of cinema i mean do you see a revamp of the culture coming back i think two dollar movies are not two dollar movies uh, tuesday super tuesdays whatever they do when the movies are half off on tuesdays i think that's a really good sales pitch i guess that's probably their lowest day they see visitors of the movies, which is why they do it. But it's got me going almost every week now to go see some type of film in cinema, even if I don't want to watch that film. But you can't beat like $6 for a movie ticket. I, I definitely think like cheap days. Um, we have a theater here that also does uh, $6 matinees. So like Monday through Thursday before like three o'clock in the afternoon, uh, you can get in for pretty cheap. That's generally when I go to a movie too. Um I think something I've noticed has been a big trend lately is um, <clears throat> bringing back these older films for runs in theaters. Um, I there's a term for it. I can't think of it off the top of my head, uh, but I've gone back like uh, I watched Back to the Future like a year or so ago at the movie theater. And, you know, it was so much fun to watch uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, you know, um, it's not reimagined cinema. I, I forget what it's called. Um, but I think that 
I think that's a big thing uh, for movie theaters is just kind of bring back these movies. Uh, as long as these prints are still available and still can be played in theaters, you know, uh, bring them back. Remind people of why they like watching movies. Maybe they haven't seen this movie in decades. You know, uh, went and saw Return of the King, the extended edition uh, last year in movie theaters. Yeah, I went and saw every Lord of the Rings movie theatrical editions but watching the extended edition was so much fun all in one go you watched it in theaters oh well you know like when they were released so like um about to say that uh, would take like two days bro what are you talking no 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 i'm trying right there serving full course meals (laughs) at that theater uh no no yeah like when uh fellowship of the ring came out went and saw it when two towers came out went and saw it return to king came out went and saw it but they were the theatrical editions and then the extended editions came out when the dvds and stuff like that well now they're showing the extended editions in theaters and so going and return of the king is my favorite of the three so i went and watched that and no matter how many times i've seen that movie it's just awe inspiring on the big screen you're just like so crazy um the novelty experiences too i think this is going to be a big thing um going to like we went and saw my wife took me to go see harry potter and the sorcerer's stone but there was a live orchestra down on the stage so they're Mm. playing the movie up on a screen and the orchestra is providing all the music while the movie's going on they have to time it like perfectly and it's it's it was such a funny. I, I'm watching the orchestra. I've I've seen the movie a million freaking times. So I'm watching the orchestra. I'm like, this is so cool. So novelty experiences like that will definitely keep the theater, you know, enticing and stuff like that. Now, if you want to talk about new movies coming out and the future of the movie going experience with current films and things, <clears throat> need to scale back the time. Like you said, it's hard to sit through a three-hour movie in one go. You're going to need to pee at some point or something like that. Or, you know, they start to lose your interest. They need to focus a little bit less on hitting us with the same things over and over and over and give us more fresh, new, I've never seen this before, content. Make me want to go to the theater for a brand new experience. If you if you're going to do the same experience over and over and over, you're going to get bored with it eventually, right? What about um more creative ideas when it comes to marketing for movies? I don't think they can get much more creative than what they're doing now. I mean, you can't do anything without running into some sort of advert. I'm going to use Night Swim as the example here. So open up my phone, scrolling through Facebook or TikTok or something like that, advertisements for it. Every time I open Peacock app to watch The Office, advertisements for Night Swim, I'm being inundated with advertisements for Night Swim. Um, Does it make me want to go see the movie? Absolutely not, but it's always in the back of my mind, like Night Swim. Did it scare the shit out of my nine-year-old son and now he doesn't want to go into the pool? Absolutely. They, it, it, their marketing is apps their marketing is fine there's nothing really more creative in my mind that they can do at this point i meant uh, more it, the actual establishment where the movies are being played like offering that tuesday that half off movie night or doing like a drive-through cinema i feel like would increase a lot of people to be able to want to go capture that feeling of being at the movies you know what i mean there's not a whole lot of movie theaters at least in my town they don't really market towards 
anybody. I mean, besides if you know that Tuesdays are half-off movies, there's not anything special that really goes on. They have some special screenings, but they don't publicize it. They just You just kind of go on the website, you're like, is that fucking Jaws playing? Yeah, you have to kind of dig around a little bit. Um, so I'm like, if you're not a cineph cinephile or whatever you want to say, it actually enjoys watching cinema and really critiquing, which I feel like I have a bigger respect for people who actually critique cinema because I think you're keeping that industry alive now. It's so weird. In the beginning, like a couple of years ago, I think when we first chatted, food uh, critic critics, movie critics, all that, it was new. It was trendy. It was like something where it was like, what's this? Let's hear this guy's take. And now it's like you guys are actually keeping some of those businesses alive um, especially when it comes to foods and restaurants and then movies and uh, movie critics. I, honestly, yes, they could step up their game as far as advertising and targeting their audiences and things like that. Like you said, for those like half price movie nights, you know, uh, these novelty movie experiences and stuff like that. Uh, one thing they could lean very heavily on. Uh, I've seen this uh, in the uh, beer industry. So, you know, I love going to breweries and discovering new beers and stuff like that. I've seen a lot of breweries teaming up with podcasters and things like that, helping to spread the word in different ways. Because, I mean, still listen to podcasts a lot. And so I'm going to be heavily influenced about what by what I'm listening to. So if there is a podcaster out there who is pairing off with a like or a local podcaster, I listen to a couple of locals here in Wilmington. If they paired off with a particular entity or a business and stuff like that, and they were talking about it, you know, making a big deal about it. I think that helps spread the word a little bit more too. There are, I guess so there are more creative ways that the, um, the businesses could be a little bit more engaging to their uh, local and target audiences, but uh, that's a good example. Do you think it's just difficult? Cause like we mentioned earlier about the length of the movies, but it's just people don't want to go out and really spend the time sitting at a theater. I just, I, like I said, I just don't think they're incentivized to plus work. I mean, everyone's got such a busy schedule. Yes. Work, work never changes. We're all working more. We're all, busting our butts um yeah longer movies probably disintify like you really have to want to sit down and watch that movie like oppenheimer that runtime would have turned me off if i not really wanted to watch that movie i'm so glad i went and saw that movie at theaters um i remind me to backtrack to that uh because you brought it up earlier about something and i wanted to say something but we kept moving um but runtime Let's get those runtimes down a little bit. Uh, let's uh, make it. Let's make movies more accessible. Again, it's just you're spending so much money to go have this experience that it feels like it feels like almost like going to Disney World. You know, Disney World is so expensive. You're not going to go do it all the time. Well, now movies are so expensive. You're not going to go do it all the time unless you absolutely want to see this film. Well, let's say I want to go see a movie but maybe I necessarily don't want to see this movie. If it, if I have a reason or they give me an incentive to go and do it, like, Hey, if you show up before, like for this two o'clock showing, not only is it going to be six bucks, but uh, we'll do half price popcorn too. Oh, okay. I love popcorn. I'll, I'll eat it for half price, you know, different, different things. Um, For longest time. Do you remember going to the movie theater and seeing a particular movie and they were given away like swag? They're, yeah, they're going with sunglasses or some yes. sort of keychain or something. They don't what do that happened to that? I have to go to 7-Eleven to get the Slurpee Cup now. 
yeah like what happened to that like give me something i i I have these stupid yellow cheap sunglasses from the movie overboard didn't actually see the movie we went to go see another movie but there was a table of swag stuff there i was like oh this is kind of cool you know so it took give people a reason to smile and want to be at the theater absolutely what about Oppenheimer? You mentioned okay. Some, okay. So circling back to Oppenheimer, you were not talking enough about explosions. No, you had mentioned that, and I thought the same thing at first, but then I realized that that was actually very clever of um of Christopher Nolan not putting the explosion in there. He hardy potted me. He 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 set us all up for this belief that we were going to watch the infamous mushroom cloud explosion and you got the explosion uh spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie you felt it like in that theater like i remember actually being pushed back against my seat uh, i was from the force of it um but i, uh, I pre-gamed too hard in the parking lot when then when i got in there and sat down i was like oh i'm not gonna be able to get up so thank god the movie <laughs> was three hours long <laughs> um I think it was it was brilliant. It was a great mix of my buddy my passed app. out an hour and a half in. Oh, <laughs> he no. was, he wow. was out, dude. He was like, I don't he remember. I got to rewatch too it. hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, that's that was an experience for me. I probably would like doing that more in movies. Maybe not so hard, but I do like having like a little bit where I can get a little bit freer and not like I don't ever shout at the screen or anything. But it definitely made it more interesting. Like I like the black and white scene they shot at the ending there. I really appreciated that about the Oppenheimer movie. Um, oh, it, love that! Yeah, it was. That's a, that's what made the movie successful. I think it was a equal part biopic. It was equal part dramatic. You laughed through it, but you know, like there was the one scene, and it drove me nuts. I like I told my buddy Mike; he's the one who went and saw it with me. Uh, it was a scene where Oppenheimer and Albert Einstein are talking, and like all of a sudden it backs away, but you can still see they're talking. It's like, I want to know what the hell they're talking about. Drove me nuts to the rest of the film. Like, that's all I could think about. I was like, what were they talking about? What were they talking about? And then it gets to the very end of the movie and you get the payoff. You get to find out what they were talking about. And I was like, oh shit. Because if you had known what they were talking about before that, it makes the rest of the movie that less dramatic. But because I, that's what I wanted to know what they were talking about, it made me pay attention to every detail of the rest of that movie, seeing if I could decipher maybe what they were talking about. And well, they, it made it so enjoyable. They were inserting the angle of Robert Downey Jr.'s character getting the paranoia, thinking that they were mentioning him because he was walking up as they were. So it was kind of going like, you guys were saying this about me. And it was like, that wasn't what was happening at all. And it kind of created the extra revenge onto the whole private trial and court case going on with um, Oppenheimer. Yeah. When all it was is, it, it was just, it was so beautiful the way they did it. Probably it a really accurate of a depiction of Truman as well, too, in that movie. Mm. Where mm-hmm. he called him a wussy or sissy yeah. baby out of here. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was just great. It, it was a great movie all around, in my opinion. That's what I wanted to circle back to, is that you had mentioned that there wasn't enough explosions. Like, I think Christopher Nolan did that on purpose, and it was brilliant. How do you feel about movies changing the historical record? Give me an example. Well, some people are, this is a really crappy example, but it's a kind of a good one. So in Charles Manson, everyone knows that Helter Skelter was painted on the door of the Tate Bianca house. Not true. 
what people are remembering, it's kind of like a mandala effect. I don't know how it happened, but it came from the movie Helter Skelter or the movie about the Manson murders where they showed it at the Tate Bianca house. The only recorded, and I've been through the documents, it was just pig written on the wall. What was written was at Manson's farm. But for some reason, everyone remembers it now, whether they saw this film or whether there's, if you Google photos, you'll see photos from the film. It's not actual photos, though, because all the photos are in black and white, but the film was in color. So people are seeing color photos of this thing. It wasn't revamped or anything. And it, to me, it was like understanding the historical record. Like I watched plenty of JFK documentaries. I watched plenty of JFK movies. Oliver Stone's. A lot of stuff important in there, but there's a lot of fantasy stuff. I don't want that being the cultural memory of this. I want the historical facts. So when we talk about something bleeding into history, are they going to remember Oppenheimer as this guy who was suffering midst of all that? He thought he was doing good until they started using it and to drop bombs on other people. And that comes from the actual biographers I've spoken to on Oppenheimer. So that the movie takes it now to put more Oppenheimer on the side of like he was like an unwilling accomplice or an unknowing accomplice, which is necessarily not true. He was with it up to the point when the thing got created and they realized he was after the first bomb got dropped and he was like, Oh shit, what are you guys doing with it? That's when the whole kind of anger and all the angst started coming up. So to me, it was about like historical memory. Like it doesn't need to be conspiracy. It doesn't mean anything like that. But when someone sees something and you think for the longest time, that's how this happened. Well, Luke Skywalker, did he say, I'm your father or to Darth Vader say, I'm your father to Luke Skywalker or was, something else you know there becomes this disconnect whether it's a small detail but that gets into the historical memory and then we might be remembering history wrong it's a really kind of crazy question because you kind of can't predict when it happens and there's not a way to really manage it but to me it brings up to more of intellectual basis when it comes to trying to get directors to stay near the official thing and not add that extra hollywood dynamic because you think it's going to sell especially about someone's life i mean albert einstein was not as smooth as that one dude we saw in Oppenheimer. I could tell you that. Uh, I think there's a fine line between acknowledging the history and maybe changing just a few details of it for dramatic effect. So, you know, you bring up the Helter Skelter thing. Whether it appeared there or not, I don't think it changes. I don't think it has anything, any effect on the idea that what happened at that house was any less chaotic or monstrous whether helter skelter was painted on the wall or not or above the door or not what happened there was still an atrocity that 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 doesn't diminish that if you're changing a piece of history to diminish the actual historical event itself that's probably where you need to start drawing the line and be like, all right, let's take a step back here. But then you're also going to have the filmmakers who say, well, this is my artistic direction. This is my artistic idea. I mean, you have people who are taking actual historical events and just completely rewriting history. I'm going to use Quentin Tarantino as an example here again with Inglorious Bastards. They killed Hitler in the end. Turned him into Swiss cheese. Did that actually happen? No. Uh, another Quentin Tarantino example, and going along with the whole Sharon Tate situation, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. End of the movie, Sharon Tate lives. She didn't live, obviously. So you got to be able to draw that line and help people understand what is supposed to be 
historical fact that might have a few items here and there changed or historical fiction where we've taken an event in history and we've decided to twist it into something of our own design um little changes uh so like for the biopic of oppenheimer yes a lot of that was probably changed for dramatic effect um i read a lot of the articles about the people who did biographies and biopics on uh oppenheimer um his family you know was very vocal about you know the the movie and stuff like that how a lot of the truth was in there but how it was presented may have been presented to paint this different picture than actually what happened or this different picture and stuff like that i think that was just again an artistic direction that was um are we watching a are we watching a documentary on oppenheimer or are we watching a movie yeah, Oppenheimer. It just you got a bunch of kids though watching it who technically get their information from film culture and other things of that sort. So you got to be careful with how they're going to end up not looking up the factual basis. Not a lot of people look up what they see and see if it's accurate or not. And then that 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 was going to be my other thing. I hate to say this because I always hated this, but that's all. for the impressionable minds. That is also up for those who are helping to shape impressionable minds to really just kind of help find that reality. So I'll use a in life example here. I, uh, we watch a lot of Jurassic park in this. It's one of Karen's favorite movies. So we watch a lot of Jurassic park. The kids ask a lot of questions about dinosaurs. Well, obviously I can't answer a lot of questions about dinosaurs. I never studied dinosaurs. Karen can't answer a lot of questions about dinosaurs. And we're not going to trust the filmmakers to give us the facts. Because guess what? They're working off of outdated facts. We Scientists have learned so much more about di dinosaurs and everything like that since 1993, when the first Jurassic Park movie came out. And before Michael Crichton even wrote that book, they've learned so, they've learned so much about it. So like we spend the time to go through and look up information that way the kids have a proper understanding of these particular dinosaurs i know that's kind of a poor poor example um another one oh apollo 13 apollo 13 is one of my favorite movies um obviously a lot of it was dramatized it's most of it is factual but a lot of it is dramatized and trying to help distinguish between that drama and fact and helping them understand where that line and balance is. Uh, Brecken watched it with me one of the last times I did, and he kept asking, he asked specific questions. And I made sure I took the time to help him to understand. This is what happened. And here's what the filmmakers did to make it a little bit more. interesting and draw worthy for the audience not everybody has a chuck though not everybody has me but i implore i implore parents to make sure that you understand a what your kids are watching and b be prepared to help them understand it even if you don't understand it yourself uh, and some adults kind of need that guidance too not everything you see on screen is fact guys good answer and really, uh, even in a documentary, documentaries are very biased. So you have to be careful what documentary you're watching because you yeah. might be just getting that one documentarian's view and opinion, and he might be omitting facts to help prove his point. So, or their point, I shouldn't keep saying him, um, prove their point. So you just, you got to be careful about 
do your own research. If you want to know more about something, make sure you're doing your own research. If you want to have a better understanding of it, make sure you're doing your own research. Yeah, they didn't really have a good answer to it, but that was that was a good answer. It's kind of one of those questions where it was more about your perspective. Um, I will say the trial prosecutor for Charles Manson committed perjury in that trial. I do not agree with that. I don't agree with that. I believe every individual has their own rights. But Vincent Bugulosi, his arrest record or his, yeah, his police records are actually public now. Um, that guy turned out to be a very bad human being, yet we still glorify him in the history books. Kind of like how like Hoover was really, really cool. And they named a school after him. And then everyone's like, wait a minute, this guy's actually really, really bad. I was like, yeah, I was like, that's what you get for politics. But to me, it's just about like, I, there's a lot of stuff I want people to take that extra step, go that extra mile. I don't necessarily agree with every like conspiracy thing, but I think if you actually look at like police records and stuff like that, there's supposed to be a good new movie coming out about the John Lennon assassination that's a product of my butt. It's on, it's on Apple TV right now. Um, it's David Whelan's work. He's a past guest. Um, they, they found two types of ammunition in John Lennon's body. Uh, which is like interesting. But if you look up uh, John Lennon um, and you look up like two shooters, you'll see this guy's articles posted by Daily Mail, Washington Post, LA Times. They're all talking about it now. And I'm like, wow, I guess something that was giant for everybody. I think everyone knows one Beatles song at least. And it's just interesting to see like if you just Google that. But a lot of people don't hear about it because I don't know. It's not God's. <laughs> it's not anything that's going to be trendy. I, I can't deal with all the posts about that shit, but we don't need to get into that. Chuck, I appreciate the time, man, um, to talk again. It was great seeing you. Is there a place where people can find any of your links? Um, well, it's still it's still out there, guys. So Chuck uh, Chuck and Ruff go to the movies. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, uh, where, or Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your uh, podcasts from. We're on uh, Instagram. Uh, haven't been very active lately. Uh, you know, I say I'm a former podcaster, but until we officially die, kill the show, we're just on hiatus. Um <laughs> But all, all my links are there. Uh, you can find us uh, on all those social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, X, excuse me. It's still, That's still a very hard thing to say. Um, and uh, find all, go give us a listen, guys. It's a lot of fun. Even if we don't produce another episode, it's still a lot of fun episodes out there. Uh, you know, your boy Robbie's on a few of them. Mel Gibson specifically. Sings, Big Lebowski. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Love Big Lebowski, yeah. too. Big Lebowski. The dude. Yeah, man. That's what they call me. <laughs> the best part is where he throws that coffee mug at him and it hits him in the head. He goes, fuck you, fascist. <laughs> <laughs> that's just hilarious. But um, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. I'll link Chuck's links in the description. Please check out his show. Uh, if you like movie reviews and you like movie takes, um, interesting takes, little details about stuff you might not have seen on the first take of your movie experience. Uh, he goes behind the scenes on some things and kind of explains some detail that you might necessarily not know about the movie. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for our next episode.